Hello and what is up, everyone? The MJ Sportscast Show, episode six, season one. This is Mike Tang, joined by my co-host Jerry Yang. How you doing, Jerry? Hey, what's up, everyone? Ready to talk sports? All right. So, uh, should we begin with um, maybe some 49ers news and how the how their Thursday night game went against Green Bay last week? Yeah, sure. Um, so, very disappointing game, as we probably expected. Um, it was a short week, and we didn't have Trent Williams or Kendrick Bourne or Brandon Ayuk due to the COVID mm-hmm. um, scare that they had. So, kind of expected. Um, I think in the first half of the game, um, we actually looked pretty good. I think the Niners yeah. were in contention, and... We looked like we might have been able to pull it off, right, or at least keep it close. But then I think Aaron Rodgers just turned it on and did exactly what we thought he would do and went to Devontae Adams, and Devontae Adams just ate us up. So, yeah, impressive day for uh, Aaron Rodgers, who had uh, 305 yards with four touchdowns and 147.2 QBR, like super impressive. Devontae Adams had 10 for 12, 173 yards and one touchdown. I think that's one of his um, season high numbers um, for the season. So that's impressive for him. I think from the Niners side, there was uh, a few highlights. I think Richie James was a big highlight. He actually led the league, um, you know, in fantasy points for the week with uh, 184 yards and one touchdown. Um, probably his biggest career moment. So I think going forward, even with um, Debo and um IU coming back I think James Richie James could play into into the team right I think a a lot of what he's been doing and what he did in that last game I feel like that's what Mike Shanahan wanted Dante Pettis to be able to do a lot of quick um you know passes um I think Richie James didn't run routes that well there's a few times where there was heads up plays where he just got confused and ran ran a little bit of, of a strange route and dropped a pass but Overall, he looked pretty good. He had the speed, um, and I think Shanahan created a lot of plays for him to get open, and he was able to get open and make some plays. And I think the other standouts were uh, Jarek McKinnon. Um, I think, you know, before this game, there were some questions whether or not he's going to be a player here for us and the type of player that he is. But I saw him dra- dramatically improve in this last game where he did run down between the tackles. Um, Stat-wise, he only had 52 yards and one touchdown, 16 reception, 16 reception yards. But mm-hmm. still, overall, I think that's a very successful outing, right? And I think um, Hasty was a little bit of a disappointment there. He didn't really have all the numbers that McKinnon had. Um, Hasty only had three yards on four carries, um, so pretty pretty slow day for him. Um, but it just goes to show that that defense. Uh, running backs and also kind of highlights how impressive Jeff Wilson was last week um, to be able to get those numbers um, so we can't really expect I guess our, our team to get those type of numbers if if the talent isn't there um, and then the last highlight I think is obviously Fred Warner is playing out of his mind right he had 13 tackles overall nine solos um, he was definitely a difference maker in the team and I think without having a lot of um not having Nick Bosa there and having um, the cornerbacks, um, I think Tart getting hurt um, halfway into the game, 
I think Fred Warner had to step up and make the difference, and he he definitely did. And I think he's he's showing that he can be one of the team defensive leaders. And I know his contract's coming up at the end of this year, but um, to me, the Niners' highest priority would be to sign that guy back, along with Trent Williams on the offensive side. So those would be the top two um, top two guys. I think overall, um, the Niners need to need to really pay attention to in this offseason. And I think one of the key plays of this last game that really stood out to me was when it was fourth and inches, um, Aaron Rodgers decided to throw a four-yard pass to Devontae Adams for a first down. On normal plays like this, it would have been like a QB sneak or have a run, running back, you know, run it down the middle. But our, I think our defense held up down on the front. And I think Green Bay wasn't confident that they would have gotten the first down on that play. Um, unless it was a passing short pass play and they definitely made it happen there. And that, that to me tells me a lot about the game plan and how it changed um, when they realized that Devontae Adams was, was definitely um, owning that um, secondary. So, so yeah, that's my thoughts overall. I think it was a short week, so this is kind of expected, but I think there was a few highlights overall for it being a short week that gives me confidence in the future that, you know, we have longer prep time like this next game that will at least be contenders or at least keep it keep the games a lot tighter. So, Mike, what are your thoughts on there on this game? Yeah, I mean, you know, going into this game here, um, you know, Kendrick Bourne was in COVID protocol, even though he may not have tested uh, positive for it. Um, he still had to take several days off and and in return. Also, I believe Trent Williams and another 49er player. Yeah, Pebo. Um, a Yuk was also um, out of the game. So when you take a look at a roster coming in, it looked like basically a preseason roster. You had your backup, you had your backup quarterback out there. You probably have like your second string running back out there. Um, your first, you know, your first tier running wide receivers are not even on the field um, to take on to this game. So I think we had pretty much low to no expectations um, coming in. And, uh, you know, what I thought, I thought this game was going to be a, a quick blowout by Green Bay. And it, and it certainly was. And Devontae Adams was basically going to be the focal point um, attacking our, our cornerback and our secondary. And they did a great job at that. Um, he had a quick uh, touchdown in the first half. Um, he had, a, what, 170, over 170 yards receiving um, there. And it's no secret, Devontae Adams is basically most of their offense when it comes to the to uh, scoring touchdowns and the Niners just couldn't stop it. Uh, some of the low lights that we mentioned, Trent Taylor, um, he could have, um, you know, came on and, and made it, made an impact somehow. He only had about one, one reception um, out of four targets. That's very disappointing. Uh, Jermichael hasty. Um, many believed that he could have came on and started this game, but unfortunately he only had what four rushes for three yards. That's just not going to, you know, cut it if you're going to try to make make the roster, you know, moving forward here. So, you know, are the are some of the highlights? Do they overcompensate for some of the low, you know, the low lights that came out of this game? I don't know. You know, um, Fred Warner, he's going to do what he's going to do, and he's he's arguably the best, you know, linebacker in football um, here. But if you try to pinpoint anyone else in the roster that did well. I am. It's really hard to find that. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the low-key, I guess, <clears throat> highlight points is also Tart. 
um, when he was healthy, I think he, it showed why he was the number one um, safety, right? But unfortunately, he came out with a toe injury. So that highlight mm-hmm. became a low light in some ways. But he, he definitely looked like a guy out there. And there was a few times where Aaron Rodgers did look um, uncomfortable when he was out there, right? So I think, you know, him making a lot of plays, a lot of explosive plays and a lot of tackles was good, right? So that's definitely yeah. some somebody I hope gets healthy, nor towards the end of the season and if we're still in playoff contention that's a guy that that i think can make a big difference there and i think you're right about the covid protocols and kendra Bourne unfortunately is back on the covid protocols and to clarify the rules of the covid protocol is if you're in close contact or if you tested positive you'll be placed on there um however you know, it's very subjective in a lot of ways, and the team can't release the fact that someone has tested positive. That there are some HEPA rules that prevent any anybody disclosing personal health type of information there. Um, that's not injury related, right? So, um, so unfortunately, that that that's not something that we would know at this point. It could be like a math, Matthew Stafford situation, like last week where early in the week we found out Matthew Stafford was on the COVID protocol, but then by Saturday um, afternoon or Sunday morning, we re- um, news came out that he was good to go. And I'm hoping Kendra right. Bourne will be in that same situation. I know Big Ben um, from the Steelers, Ben Rothenberger, is also in this protocol, um, and everyone's hoping the same, right? I think um, at this point it's too, too early to tell if that's going to be the case for – uh, born, but I think we can definitely hope that that will be the case. So, yeah, absolutely. Here, so kind of looking forward um, to uh, next week. Uh, you know, we we may have Richard Sherman, uh, who may be active, but um, there's rumors that he may um, maybe play in the last week of November instead of next week. Um, here, uh, Raheem Mostert and Debo Samuel have a chance to play in Week Ten. How do you see our team going forward against the Saints? Yeah, so I think for the Saints, obviously they had a really big win against the Buccaneers. They completely Uh dominated Tom Brady. I think that was the worst game of Tom Brady's career um, from stats-wise all around. He had three sacks on them and three interceptions. Um, But it was an emotional win for the Saints. The Saints... um, you know, played really hard against a division opponent, and they're probably coming off that high. Um, if you see on Twitter, there's a big locker room celebration. It looked like they they won the division, right? <laughs> I don't think the Dodgers celebrated that hard as as they did in that um, in that locker room video. So, so definitely a high emotional win for them. Whereas the Niners, I think, had a loss, a bummer loss. But the good part is it was Thursday night football. So there's a lot of time to recover as well as game plan against the Saints. Um, so mm-hmm. obviously, I think that's the bright side where I think we'll have some edge in, in being more rested. And teams coming off an emotional win tend to do worse on the game after. So I think we have a little bit of a mental edge as well. Um, but I think on the low end or negative side is they have a lot of weapons on that team. Um, Michael Thomas being one of them. I think that's your Devontae Adam comparison. <laughs> um, they're definitely going to be uh, a threat there. Taysom Hill um, is going to be that running quarterback slash uh, Swiss Army knife of a player that I don't think anyone on our team can really um, cover at that point. So they, there's definitely a big play potential there. 
And then, um, so if you break that down, there's definitely already two major threats that that we have to watch out for. And and not to mention, um, they have Alvin Kamara, which is a you know world class um, running back as well. So. So definitely a lot of threats on that end. And obviously their defense is going to be good. Um, they're able to shut down Tom Brady and Greg Williams has that team coached up pretty well. Um, so there, it's going to be pretty tough for um, for Nick Mullins. Um, if Nick Mullins is a go for that game. Um, I know mm-hmm. they signed um, Josh Johnson as well, but I don't know if Josh Johnson will be the one starting. Um, but I can imagine Nick Mullins having a, a short leash there for either CJ or Josh to come in um, if things go south, right? So, but we'll, we'll have to see. Um, I think it'll be competitive, um, but it's going to be a big uphill battle for us. Um, so, so we'll see. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, you know there's no surgery needed for Jimmy Garoppolo. Do you think he'll you know come back this season at all, or do you think they? Do you think they'll just have him rest and kind of see, you know, how his body progresses? I think they have to have him back. I think in a lot of ways they have to have him back just so they can evaluate him. And I know it's the last, it's not the last year of his contract, but I think they, there's no financial ties anymore to um, Jimmy Garoppolo. If they were to cut him, uh, there was, there's going to be very minimal dead money at that point. So I think for the future of the Niners, I think they, they, they should have him back as if he can go just so they can see if, if he's really the Jimmy G of, you know, last year's playoffs against the um, Packers where he looked really good, or is he, you know, going to be this year's um, flop in the, you know, flop of the season. Right. So I think it's too hard to tell. Um, I know there's a big sample size from his career, but we just don't know his progression at this point. I think he's made very minimal progression in my opinion, um, but I think out of all our three players, I think Jimmy G is the best quarterback, right? Our three, our three quarterbacks that we have, um, I guess Josh Johnson aside, even Josh Johnson, I think Jimmy G still has that edge. I think one of the things that, um, Mike Shanahan and John Lynch need to consider is who else would they get out there if they were to cut Jimmy Garoppolo, right? There's talks of Matt Ryan, there's talks of, you know, um, of having Kirk Cousins again, and there's talks of <laughs> of draft capital, but to me that seems like all noise at this point, right? Um, the season's still not over. I think we still have a chance to make the playoffs. Um, our division did lose. I think every team lost or was on bye last week, um, so you know things are still up in the air. Um, and I know the rest of our schedule is not going to be any easier at this point, but but we still have a chance to win and. That's the case. I would want Jimmy Garoppolo as our quarterback going into a playoffs type scenario. Um, so, what about your what are your thoughts, um, Mike? Do you do you think he's our future still? I think, yeah, I think I agree with you there. That we just have to wait and see. Um, basically, we're just going to have to roll with Mullins or CJ Beathard for the next several weeks. Um, here, I believe the signing of Josh Johnson is just in case any of our quarterbacks have to be in COVID protocol, for example, and can't play, um, you know, that, that Sunday there. And Josh Johnson, he has a reputation around the league that he can just kind of join teams in midseason, be able to pick up the playbook and, uh, you know, be semi-effective, I guess, when it comes to his quarterback play there. So I don't really see Josh Johnson as any threat for this season or next season um, here. And, uh, you know, in terms of the future, or the near future, 
I think what we are three and four. Is that our record now, Jerry? Uh, we're um, four and four, I believe. Yeah, we're four and four. We're four and four. Yeah. Okay, we're four and four. We're at five hundred here. You know, technically speaking, we're you know we can mathematically make the playoffs if we. Sorry, four start and five. Four games. and five. Sorry, we're four and five. The okay. Seattle Seahawks are five. six and two, but then Cardinals and Rams are five and three. So we're basically one game out from from um, the second place, and with the expanded playoff, I think. Uh, birth we do have better chances right to your point okay okay and many fans are thinking if you know we should start tanking should we just start losing games and i believe in the nfl if you want to be a good franchise a competitive team you have to try to win every week no matter what kind of injuries you have because you know there's going to be injuries in some years you may have to just go nine and seven and just be competitive that way or go eight and eight as long as you don't have any kind of catastrophic you know some sort of like really bad season like the jets for example where they're winless you know you kind of want to keep some sort of momentum for next year there so i think that you know try to win games now try to be competitive and then uh worry about the draft pick yeah and i guess one quick correction i said greg williams earlier i meant dennis allen for the saints uh-huh. um so they replaced okay. the team as a coordinator I, I guess i'm still back in that you know old days of the saints where they had greg williams <laughs> so it was fresh on my mind but yeah i do agree with you for the rest of the season if you look at their schedule we have the saints that's gonna mm-hmm. be tough the rams is coming up after that we've beaten the rams before so hopefully that trend continues the bills will be tough but then after that, we have Washington. I think Washington, we're the better team. We have the Cowboys. I think we're the better team. But then we have the Cardinals and the Seahawks. And I think those last two games will probably be determining our playoff futures at that point. Um, potentially a wild card berth. Um, I don't know if we'll win the division. Right? I think Seattle is going to have also a tough um, schedule uh, after this. But um, overall, I think Seattle's defense doesn't look as great either, right? And they have a lot of injuries on the offensive side with Chris Carson going out. So um, so they could lose a couple games, and then next thing we know, we're, we're definitely in it at that point. So I, I agree with you. I don't think I don't think tanking really is uh, a thing that people should be hoping for. I know draft picks are great, but notoriously, John Lynch has been better actually when – um, in the later rounds, right? Like picking up guys like George Kittle and and um, and Fred Warner, they're all late, later round type picks and weren't the top picks. Um, the top picks haven't really panned out and examples are like Simon Thomas and, and others, right? So it's, it's, um, it's definitely not something we should hope for. And also as a fan, why would you even want that, right? As a fan, I think we want to be able to see these games and see see them be competitive and see them win and, and make it into the playoffs. And because once you're in the playoffs, who knows what happens? And at that point, we'll have a lot of rest for our injured players. There's a couple of players that might be surprise comebacks at that point. Right. So we, we just have to wait and see, because if you look, consider last year, we thought Quan Alexander was going to be gone for the whole season, but he did make it back for the last two, two games of the playoffs. And there could be a scenario like that where we have, a key player, not saying we will, but maybe like a Nick Bosa or some difference maker that does come back if we make it deep into into playoffs at that point. And once you have a lot of key players healthy, then you know it could be anyone's game. And and they've been rested too, right? So you might have some rust a little bit, but then these star players, once they come back from injury and they're ready to go, they're ready to go. 
and they're going to make a big difference. And at that point, you know, who knows what happens. So. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, let's kind of talk about the, the Las Vegas Raiders um, here. They beat the, the LA chargers uh, 31 to 26 um, by dramatic measures. They dodged a game winning uh, touchdown that was thrown by uh, Justin Herbert in the last second there. Um, and replay showed that the receiver actually dropped the ball um, before hauling that touchdown in, you know, from what I've saw, you know, the Raiders, they didn't really look good to, you know, stat wise, you know, Car only threw for 165 yards. Um, looked like no one really eclipsed more than 100 yards in receiving or rushing um, here. So it looked like um, a very good back and forth game. Uh, Justin Herbert did a great job. He had like over 300 yards um, throwing the ball and two touchdowns. Uh, Justin Jackson came out of the game after the first play, I believe. So a lot of um, carries were over to. Uh, to uh, Kalen Lodge there and also uh, Joshua Kelly. But did you have any thoughts on how that game went or yeah, or anything, Jerry? Yeah, so I think for that game, it was kind of interesting because on the Raiders' side, they did have a lot of key injuries. and um, They lost two of their offensive uh, linemen, um, Richie Incognito mm. being one of them. And they also lost two uh, cornerbacks on the defensive end, right? So, so that that definitely showed a little bit where um, Derek Hart looked uncomfortable. He had one sack on him, which is amazing, I think, uh, given those circumstances. And I think the run blocking just wasn't there, right? And that's why uh, Devontae Booker only had 68 yards on six carries with one touchdown. Josh uh, Jacobs only had um, 65 yards on 14 carries. Um, so they just couldn't get the running game going. And once you're one run dimensional like that, it's, it's really hard to win games, but they were able to pull it out. And I think at the end, um, mm. what was amazing about that dramatic finish was the play before that Mike Williams actually was got shooken up on a potential fade pass uh, winning touchdown as well. Um, so they had to throw it to their backup um, tight end at that point who, who, like you mentioned in the replay, showed that he dropped the ball. Um, but it was a really close, close finish. Um, but I think the message in the end, though, is the Raiders can finish games, right? I think they're they come in these close yeah. situations. Um, and we knew this was going to be tough. We knew the Chargers is, is a division opponent um, that's going to play the team pretty tight. Um, but the the standout is the fact that they did, they did win this game. Right. So I think that that showed me a lot. And I, um, I'm seeing them as, you know, definitely a contender and in a, in a better situation. And when you compare it to the Niners, um, I'd much rather be in the Raiders situation, to be honest with you. I think they had a few key injuries, but then the injuries aren't on a lot of the, you know, key players like Carr or Josh Jacobs or, or uh, Darren Waller. Right. Those are, you know, very key components of the team that, that, that are healthy and ready to go. And I think um, going forward, their schedule looks um, quite interesting. I think they have Denver Broncos this uh, week coming up. Then they have the Chiefs, which will be tough. But then after that, um, they have the Falcons and the Jets. And then that's going to you know open up a little bit more wins, hopefully, for them. Um, I can see their next four games that they can easily go three for four and potentially even upset the Chiefs again. Um, so so yeah, I think the future is bright as a Raiders fan. If I was a Raiders fan, I, I would be really happy for them. I'm, 
I'm definitely rooting for them um, from a Bay Area standpoint and AFC. I know they're not here anymore, but I do have a lot of friends who are Raiders fans, and and so I'm rooting for them for on behalf of my friends, right? And um, I think this next matchup against Denver will be fun for them. I think they um, are definitely the better team. Um, Drew Locke looked terrible in their last game. Um, had a lot of um, you know miscues and a lot of um, you know potential. Um, you know, passes that were broken up. So, so yeah, so I, I do like their chances in the rest of their season going forward. Um, what are your thoughts, Mike? Yeah, I mean, you know, how fast um, times can change in the NFL. I think nine months ago, we would probably wouldn't want to be in the Raiders shoe, and we would rather have the Niners roster and their administrative team here. But, you know, things happen fast, and all of a sudden the Niners aren't really – considered um a top five team anymore in football so um you know kind of looking at the raiders um schedule here yeah you're right it looks you know pretty soft you know moving forward and it really comes down to you know winning conference games here they have that they're facing the broncos twice in the next um few months they face the chiefs again um here and uh yeah they just they just gotta win like two or three out of those games there and win those non-conference um, games against the Jets, Colts, and Dolphins um, too. And, uh, you know, the Denver Broncos, they're not a bad team. You say that Drew Locke had a bad game, but he had over 300 yards uh, passing um, there with two touchdowns and one interception. Um, and it looks like uh, he has some pretty decent receivers too with Jerry Judy, um, there he had seven receptions for 125 yards. Um, Tim Patrick has been um, has been good w- when he's healthy. Um, so they have some uh, you know pretty good options in addition to Melvin Gordon um, as well. Even though he didn't show he didn't show much in the stat line, but he's always a good threat out of the backfield and also um, receiving the ball here. So it's going to be a good game. Yeah. And I look forward to, uh, you know, watching that. Yeah, game. I think um, the reason why I say Drew Lawton do so well because he had a 77.9 uh, QBR rating. Um, but if you watch that game, uh, he also had a, a pretty devastating interception. <laughs> that one interception was actually uh, in the last yeah. few minutes of the game, right? So it was it came at the worst time for him <laughs> and essentially lost. Yeah, so maybe... Right? So I think that's... So maybe, so maybe yards, maybe yards accumulated is an overrated stat statistic, so. and maybe we have to see how many attempts he threw because I did hear he threw a lot. He of did, he did, he definitely did, game. and I think um, it, it was just came at the inopportune time, and I think those are just growing pains that Drew Locke is going through, right? Um, if he was a more experienced quarterback, I think he would have won this game, right? And he wouldn't have thrown that interception. Yeah. And I do agree with you; they do have a lot of weapons. I think. Um, one of the underrated guys on our team, I think, is uh, KJ Hamler. KJ Hamler, to me, looked really good mm-hmm. out there. Just from the eye test, stat-wise, he was, you know, he was decent. He had 75 yards on six receptions, and he ran the ball for 15 yards on one one carry there. Um, but he looked like a really dynamic mm-hmm. player out there. Um, I will compare him a little bit, um, like Tyson, Tyson Hill. Um, in the fact that he's a little mm. bit of a Swiss Army knife. They kind of lined him up in the slot a few times. They um, but he had the speed to actually stretch out the field. Um, he has some, you know, some blocking as well that that were 
um, deceptive blocks that Drew and um, drew up from. So he's definitely a guy to look out for. Um, I think he's one of the high, the low key highlights on the Broncos team, and and that could potentially give trouble for the Raiders in the game coming up. And um, running back wise, I think you're right. Melvin Gordon wasn't impressive from a stat line perspective, but um, I think Philip Lindsay's health is also um, something to watch out for. I think he's a little bit dinged up there from this game. Um, so if he's not able to go, that's another, uh, you know, another threat off the table. But if he's good to go, then that, that's something also to watch out for. So, so yeah, overall, I don't think this will be like a pushover game for um, the Raiders. But um, I would give the Raiders the edge, uh, mainly because of how good their defense is, um, you know, overall against a run. And hopefully to get some of their um, secondary um, cornerbacks back from injury as well. And that'll, that'll tighten up that, that secondary. So, um, so yeah, we'll see. I think the uh, the pass rush will be important in this game um, overall. So yeah, so um, also off the field news um, here, the Raiders have been penalized again for breaking COVID nineteen protocols. Um, this time, the whole organization has been hit with a fine of uh, half a million dollars, while um, their head coach John Gruden faces a hundred fifty thousand dollar fine here. And uh, you know what also hurts out of this is that the Raiders, they lose a six-round draft pick um, for next year as well. Do you think this was too harsh of a penalty here? And uh, do you think the NFL is just trying to make them an example for the league? Or do you think this is just right and they deserve um, all the penalties that they've uh, Yeah, I think so absolutely far. it was the right thing to do. I know the fines, I think, are, you know, actually pretty light, in my opinion. I think 500K mm-hmm. for an organization. I know uh, 150K seems like a lot to us, but Cruden's <laughs> contract's pretty, pretty hefty, right? So I think you can cover that 150K. I think what really hurts is actually losing that sixth-round pick. Um, and I think the league is yeah. cracking down on it. I think it's the right thing to do. I think that that I think really does hurt and will set an example to the rest of the league that um, that the NFL is taking this COVID thing very, very seriously, right? And I think um, the main reason why they're um, hit so hard is because Trent Brown went down uh, with COVID twice now, and it's looking like he's going to be missing 20 mm-hmm. days. Um, with um, COVID-like symptoms, right? So it's going to be going to be uh, you know interesting to see if the rest of the league will take notice on this and um, take it a bit more seriously. And if if what they, I read was true is that they weren't wearing masks and they didn't really social distance a lot and and at times didn't even wait for test results to come back before before doing a lot of their practices and things like that. To me, that's unacceptable, right? Because you have like minimal things that you can do to try to minimize your COVID risk. And if they're not taking it, and these guidelines, I think, are really good, actually. I think um, the NFL's like COVID guidelines are better in some ways than, you know, our regular <laughs> people or government guidelines because they're very specific exactly what you need to do on um, each training facility and what each player is responsible for and how long you know, how many tests they need to take and what are the protocols when someone does get tested. They're very detailed. And I'm, very, I'm actually pretty impressed with the league for coming up with that. I, I, um, in a lot of ways, I think our, our government is struggling to come up with those type of detailed guidelines. And the league is a little bit ahead on that. So, so I think it really is justified. Um, and I, I hope for the Raiders and their organization and their fans that 
that they do take this a little bit more seriously now. And we won't be hearing um, many, any other cases from the Raiders organization going forward. Yeah, and I think what also drives these sports franchises, not sports franchises, but the league in general, is the fear of you know losing revenue. They know that they have to adhere to these um, COVID protocols and have strict guidelines, so then they so they won't be shut down. And you know, kind of losing a game and not playing, especially on national TV, you know, that's very detrimental for the league financially here. So I believe they're very driven by that. And, uh, you know, I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, I think that's why the Thursday night game for um, the Niners didn't get pushed back. Um, There's a lot of rumors that it it should have. And obviously for the Niners' sake, it would have been, you know, it would save the Niners because the results for Trent Williams and Ayuk um, came back the day after or the day of, um, but they weren't clear to play yet. Um, But I think the league is taking it really seriously that, they have, um, you know, sponsors and revenue that gets generated from each game being played. So if they have to delay it or cancel a game, um, then there's a big hit on the league financially. And and um, and that's unacceptable to them, right? And given this year where they're losing out on ticket revenue and concession revenue and not having, you know, live sports with people in there, um, this ad revenue and ratings and network revenue is definitely going to be the biggest source of income for the league. And anything that compromises that, um, especially on carelessness, I would say um, not following these COVID protocol to me is considered careless. Um, I think league can do something about it and they did, right? So, so I think good for the league and good for, I think, the players themselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely here. All right, let's move on to um, Major League Baseball news. Um, The Giants, they had a former Giants outfielder called Mac Williamson back in 2018, if you recall. Uh, He came up um, from AAA um, that season. And uh, he basically, I think he hit about three home runs or so his first few games um, there and was on fire. And um, and then one of those games against the Washington Nationals in 2018, he tripped on the bullpen mound as he was chasing a fly ball um, down left field. And his and also his head collided uh, with the wall while he was trying to uh, chase that fly ball here. Um, His career hasn't really been the same ever since Um, he batted about under around 180 in about 20 games the rest of that season. And then uh, he batted 118 with the Seattle Mariners next the following year. However, he also went to uh, sign with some Korea baseball organization and hit 270 in about 40 games um, here. And most recently this week, Mac Williamson has um, filed a formal complaint against the San Francisco Giants organization as a whole. And he is actually looking to, uh, you know, seek damages um, from his concussion and saying that he hasn't healed properly and his life hasn't been the same and his baseball career is over. Do you think this lawsuit is justifiable um, for the player? Or do you think that, you know, the, the, you know, the way the field is, you just have to adapt to it and, 
And, you know, if you're going to go through an injury, you, you better just go through the workers' compensation system. Yeah, I think the Giants did respond after this injury to remove the mound from um, from third third base, right? Mm-hmm. And they d- definitely changed the arrangement because of this uh, concussion that Mac Wilson suffered. And if you saw the video replay, it actually looked really bad, right? <laughs> I think um, it, it yeah. wasn't... Uh, uh, you know, it wasn't like they give me there. Um, I think anyone that did that would would definitely be feeling it the next morning and um, have um, you know a lot of impact to their to the rest of their lives probably. Right. Um, I know in baseball concussions aren't common, obviously, because it's a non-contact sport. Um, so when something like this happens, it it definitely is is pretty devastating to them, right? And and I think the bodies of of the players are really important, especially in baseball, because they have to go through this long grind of of a season. And if their you know concussion and CTE stuff isn't right, right, your potential CTE uh, effects um, afterwards, um, then then that's yeah, that's really scary, right? And I think Mac Williamson is justified in a lot of ways for this lawsuit um but on the flip side um i don't think suing the giants is the right way to go um the giants did you know obviously compensate him for the season and all that stuff but um i i just don't know what he's hoping to accomplish and i know the rest of his season or rest of his career rather um didn't go so well since that injury but i don't know if we can blame this one isolated incident for that right i know mac williamson's making the argument that that that's a case but um he his career was already on the decline a little bit there and his he's turning 28 this year um so in a lot of ways he did already hit his peak um for a lot of players um so you know in that in that sense i, I think the league just has to look at it more closely and i know it's up to the courts now to kind of make that determination um but I guess my my inkling or my instincts on this is they'll probably just settle out of court and they'll just compensate Mac Wilson quietly and and that that'll be the end of it, right? Um, but going forward, as far as the ballpark configuration goes, I'm glad they did change the bullpen mound. I never really liked it, right? I, it always looked awkward to me, especially for the home team to have it. Um, I thought it was really awkward. I can see some ways where you want the away team to have it because there is some psychological. Um, you know, thing to see a reliever warm me up when you're struggling, right? So there's definitely that. Um, so when the home team is, you know, feeling the same, it never made sense to me, right? Um, so I'm glad it's gone. Yeah, I. Yeah, I think when they first um, put the bullpen mounds out there, it was more to give the fans an up close view of seeing like you know pitchers warm up there to kind of make it more. Um, I wouldn't say interactive, but more like you're close to the action per se. And I thought it was a cool idea when, when it came out in 2000 or so, but we didn't really account for, you know, outfielders running, you know, yeah, on the being foul a hazard, line right? And being a hazard, up and, made up hazard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But so I thought it was pretty cool the first 10 to 15 years. And I don't think many injuries did happen during that time. But I think injuries started happening um, maybe around 2010 to 2016. I remember mm. Bryce Harper um, tripping on, tripping on, tripping trying to chase a fly ball around that yep. time frame um, here, and he even reminded the Giants when they were pursuing him um, as a free agent, "Look, 
I don't know if I want to sign here because remember when I when yep. I shook them out? Do I really want to? Do I really want to play half my games? Yeah, you know, out here. And, so it was definitely a, it's definitely a deciding factor uh, for a lot of outfielders too. Um, they're looking at that mound. They're like, man, I don't I don't know if I really want to run uh, run down that line. Yeah, and, and it's hurt. funny you bring up Bryce Harper because he was the one that actually was at bat during that Mac Wilson uh, concussion. So he, so I think he definitely uh, related to that uh, um, to that injury. Right, he had a, a big reaction to it when he saw Mac Wilson hit hit the pads there. So. So yeah, it was um, you know kind of a kind of a thing, and if players are factoring in the mound, and that's definitely something to be changed, right? Um, I, it kind of reminds me of the Cubs. I, I believe it was the Cubs back then when they had that um, brick mound or brick wall um, as their outfield wall. Um, and that never made sense to me, right? You're like introducing this huge hazard <laughs> out in the outfield, and and um, I don't know what the benefits are of that besides this, you know, risky injury for the players. So um, for the sake of the players and sake of the league, I just, I just don't think the mound really makes sense anymore in this time of age. And, and you did mention it's to get fans closer, but if you're already that close, um, why don't you just watch the game? <laughs> like, do you really need to see a guy throw a ball a few times? You're already watching the guy in the game throw the ball, right? So to see a reliever warm up, I mean, how I don't, I don't, to me personally, I don't think that's very exciting. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with you there for the most part. Um, at the time, I understood the logic, um, though. You want to kind of be close to the game. You kind of want to know who's warming up. Um, but uh, yeah, let's kind of move forward to uh, to some off season stuff about the Giants yeah. here. Um, the, the closer situation was definitely yep, we teased the last time right uh, last <laughs> we season. teased the yeah. last episode so i wanted to to bring it back in yeah. this episode and get mike's thoughts on this right so yeah so i you know the beginning of this um this past season uh kapler tried to go with a closer by committee um here so he went with trevor god and he blew you know several games and had a pretty awful stretch um at one point and, uh, you know, our previous closers before, they were okay. You know, we had uh, the lefty Will Smith. We traded him over to the Braves. We had Hunter Strickland. He was a bit of a head case towards the end of his tenure there. Uh, Mark Melanson um, was injured most of the time with the Giants. And um, during our World Series run, we had Santiago, Santiago Casilla, who was very solid. We had Sergio Romo, who had a few good seasons with that slider of his. And we had Brian Wilson for a couple seasons in the beginning of that 2010 dynasty. Um, so do the Giants really need a closer moving forward here? So I know you compiled a few yep. options, Jerry, um, there. Let's kind of go through each option and see, um, you know, how yeah. we feel about um, So before one. I go into options, I think for the closer situation, to me, um, seeing that, hearing that list, I actually got me kind of excited, especially towards the end. Just <laughs> remembering Brian Wilson, Sergio Romo, yeah. the years. Those were, to me, the golden years. That's literally, you know, the ending to a game, right? And um, all my good memories um, all came from from seeing them on the mound and closing out the game. So um, from a, you know, nostalgic uh, standpoint, hearing those names, uh, you know, definitely ramps, amps me up a little bit there. So just want to 
give a shout out there, especially to Brian Wilson. I think he was like one of my favorite players during the 2010 run. So, um, so pretty happy with that. <laughs> um, okay. So I guess running through the options, I think we um, talked about last time a little bit where the first option obviously is to continue with this closer by committee. Um, I think Trevor got definitely, was um, struggling there. I think it was based on his experience and I'm a little bit worried and shaky about his confidence as well. Um, in addition to all this. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if he has that, you know, closer uh, stuff and mentality. I think as a closer, you really have to have that killer instinct to go out there and be able to have the confidence to finish that game. And, uh, and the best do that, right? Like Mario Rivera, uh, is probably one is the best closer to ever play baseball, and he he had that killer and say every time he came out there, I think teams feared him, right? Um, so there's there's definitely that factor, and I don't think Gott has that. Um, so the committee I think it might be okay depending uh, during this flux where we don't have an obvious closer, but probably need to need to see from there, right? Um, I think option two is a call up a prospect from the minors, and I, I read a lot about this where. Khalil Duvall. Um, I know I'm probably butchering his name a little uh-huh. bit, but but he's uh, a big prospect. I believe that um, Dwayne Kuyper on KMBR mentioned that he he's definitely a guy that the Giants should look at and a potential guy that that can be called up and become that closer. Um, I, I think for me, uh, for that option, it's pretty in some ways it's premature because. Um, you know what makes a good closer is experience and being part of the pen right and building up that confidence to become that closer eventually you don't just become a closer i think through day one you know so um so i think he needs a little bit more seasoning a little bit more reps um, but that could be an option and if there are options of free agent closers um so melanson is on the top of the list in terms of free agents but he's also um you know made 19 uh, 19 million in 2020. So I don't know if the Giants want to want to be able to spend that type of cash. I know his market value is only 5.2 million. Um, so that might be a little bit more reasonable. Um, but yeah, Mike, I, I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, I think I gave my thoughts as I went through these options. And oh, I guess to finish off the third option, um, as far as free agent closers go, um, I'm just looking at the list. I don't think there's any great options out there. Um, maybe Tony Watson might be a guy that we keep because uh, that is an option there. But I don't think he's really, really the closer that we're looking for, right? That can save us. So, um, but yeah, the the list to me for um, there's Alex Colomi, uh, Roberto Usuna from Houston. Um, I don't think none of those are really appealing closers. Um, if they were good closers, I don't think the teams would have let them go, right? Um, so I think Melanson, yeah. unfortunately, is probably the best option, but we've already had that run with him, and I don't know if he, he wants to come back, right? So, um, so yeah, Mike, let me get your thoughts on the three options. Right. Like, what do you think? Um, what would you go with? Well, I think, I, I think continue with closer by committee is probably the last option that we're going, that we're going to move forward with just by how the season went there and how, you know, that – that committee was just not very effective and it cost us a lot of games and it also cost us a chance. Yeah. To and has any team done that successfully um, too? I think that's one question I, I always ask myself, right? I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen a team that did it. I know the Dodgers sort of did it um, in the playoffs, but then, you mm-hmm. know, obviously I think Jansen's really their closer, right? So I don't, I don't know if a team has done right. it successfully. Yeah. I just think that, 
teams in the modern era, they're trying to maybe go by closer by committee there and basically not pay um, over $10 million um, to a closer and just try to say they're going by committee, but then usually one or two play one or two relievers, they emerge from that pack and they take over the job. And they're maybe like they're on a minor league deal or they're making like three to four and five million there. And they just kind of, you know, be great at it. So I think that we don't really have yeah. anyone yeah, I think by, in our system. I think by committee, that that's job. the hope, right? That um, one yes. person would stand out and become the closer. That's why you go by committee to kind of, it's almost like a small tryout for that committee to see if one person stood out. I think God did stand out in the beginning of the season. That's why he became the de facto like closer. Um, but then obviously he lost yeah. his stuff as well, right? So Yeah, and it's a tough job, you know what I mean? I'm looking at the closer free agent list here. Um, you know, I see Tony Watson, um, and he was making about four and a half million dollars as a reliever. And, uh, you know, he was okay. The thing about Tony Watson was he had a lot of durability issues. I think he had issues pitching in back to back games, uh, most of the time. And that's why he wasn't really, um, inserted into that closer row consistently there. So I'm not sure if we're going to see, uh, Tony Watson back, you know, with the Giants although he was good when he did pitch with us every other day. So I'm looking at this list here, and you know what I see is Liam Hendricks is probably the best closer out of, out of this bunch here, but he made $5 million in 2020, and he's, his market value is going to probably be over 15, 10 to $15 million. So do we want to spend you know, that much on a closer here, or do we want to maybe spend about, I don't know, 3 to $4 million dollars per year on one of these guys i'm looking at the list you know i i see a lot of good players i see kirby yates out here he was with san diego uh, but he's about he's he's 34 about to turn 35 uh there's brad han from the cleveland indians uh he looks pretty good too uh robert osuna i know he has some controversy while he was with the with the houston astros um there but um you know, he's pretty effective. So, you know, it's really up to management to see how, how they want to move forward. I think Mark Melanson, he's, uh, he's not coming back. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty true to say that. And he's, he's going to, he's, he's also his, he's up there in age. He's, he's 36 years old. And how effective are 36, 37 year old closers? Unless your name Dennis <laughs> so, you want to take a flyer on him just just on an off chance that maybe he might be good. <laughs> yeah, Melanson. Oh, I know Melanson? his value went down, right? So five million. I, I think, mean, could be a good deal. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't. I I wouldn't be surprised if we re-sign him, but maybe as like a uh, setup mm, reliever. Would you want him back? I know he had some locker room issues, like before before you left the team too, right? I think there was some some weird like management issues. I, I wasn't like super clear on that, but um, what are your thoughts on that off season or off the, yeah. off the field type stuff, right? Um, you know, I'll, overall, I don't think he was awful in you know chemistry wise in that locker room. But I, I from what I recollect, Jerry is that Mark Melanson. Um, he didn't really care oh, for like the man, stretching, the pregame stretching <laughs> That's routine. That's what he was tripping about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he went like there were rumors that he was, um, 
he was kind of I don't know if boycotting is the right word, but he was um he didn't really care for the for the mm-hmm. routines and the and the guidelines um there. But I'm not sure if that was really a lingering case um yeah. for the players guess, or something. Um, in your opinion, I know I'm kinda of putting you on the spot here, but who do you think is the best closer in the league right now? Yeah. Right, maybe top three. If uh, I don't know if you can name it off the top of your head, but are are there even good closers out there anymore? That's kind of my question as well, right? No, no one stands out. Uh, yeah. Are you talking about? Are you talking about in mm-hmm. um, all, the whole? Yeah, all of MLB yeah. baseball, all of MLB. Here, like, I, or... I, to me, I I I don't think I can name like a really solid closer at this point. Um, I think there's a few out there, but then. You know, who you, in your opinion, who do you think is the best closer or top three, maybe? Well, I did mm-hmm. like um, Josh Hader from the Brewers. Uh, he's a left-handed pitcher um, there who could pitch multiple innings. Um, Liam mm-hmm. Hendricks. was on that list, A's, right? <laughs> uh, was very good. Too. Yeah, he was on that list, but he's going to be paid mm-hmm. very, very nicely next season and uh you know i've always liked uh orodis chapman um yeah just from just from him pitching and you know he just reaches 100 yeah it's so amazing how he still has that velocity right like after all these uh, years i think still kept up that velocity that's pretty impressive in my mind (laughs) um but obviously he's he's on the hook there right is he the last real like old school closer at this point. I mean, all these other names I'm seeing from the closers list are, you know, pretty new names at this point. Right. I mean, maybe Wade Davis is a guy that I can think of or Jansen that mm-hmm. we mentioned earlier, or more of the old school guys, but the, the real dominant old school type of, you know, heartbreaking closer to me is really Chapman at this point. Right. Can you think of anyone else like that? Yeah, I think Chapman, you know, fits, Fits that bill. Uh, Kirby Yates from the Padres mm-hmm. uh, was pretty uh, locked down um, reliever um, too for the last three to four years. So, um, I you know what I look for out of a closer is versatility and able to pitch you know two or th- two two or three innings when they get out there. And some of these players, you know, they're just used to mm-hmm. just pitching one inning and that's it. You know, so. Um, you know, I like Josh versatility Hader, uh, and I like Josh Hader. Huh, the Brewers. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about um, some some uh, yeah some so football I can picks. Name it off. So we have the Niners week. plus nine versus Saints. The over under is forty nine. Um, so my pick here, I think it's going to be really tough. Um, mm-hmm. The game is in New Orleans, unfortunately. So. Um, I, I just don't know if the talent level is there enough. So I'm going to go with the Saints minus nine. Kind of hurts me to say that. <laughs> Last few weeks, I think I've picked uh, the Niners and they uh, haven't covered. So maybe this is a good sign where I didn't pick the Niners and Niners surprised me. <laughs> but I'm going with the Saints minus nine. And the over-under is 49. I think that's a little bit low for this game. I think um, the teams will probably light up on one end, hopefully, or both ends. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the over there. Um, and also, it's in the indoor stadium, right? So I don't think weather is going to be a factor or anything like that. So so this the Lions, I think, to me, is a bit too low. So what about you, Michael, your picks? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go um, I'm gonna go with the Saints here. 
And uh, mm. I'm going to go with the under. Why, why the under? 49 points. I just think the Niners mm. are going to have a tough time scoring the ball again, like last, like last game um, here. I think the Saints are going to they're going to get three, about two or three touchdown lead, and they're going to run the ball pretty effectively with uh, Kamara here and try right. to protect Breeze. And next, yeah, go ahead. And uh, yeah, so we have the Raiders um, here. They're a five. They're a yep. um, Raiders are a five what, five, five point, point favorite against Denver. Yeah, over Denver, and then um, they Denver, are playing right. at home. Yeah, and the over under is fifty point five. Um, so for me, I'm going with the Raiders here. I think the Raiders yep. are a better team. Um, playing at home certainly helps. And on that over-under, I actually do like the under for similar reasons on what you said for um, as far as lockdown and dominant. I know this is probably an unpopular pick. I think most people are going with the over on that 50 and a half. But, um, but for me, I'm going to go for go for the under here. I think the Raiders defense will lock it up a little bit more. And um, Denver, I know Denver has weapons, but Drew Locke, I don't think um, gets it done as much as he does last week. So, um, so yeah, that's what I'm rolling with. What about you, Mike? I am going to go with um, the Denver Broncos here. And, um, and it's going to be a close, I think it's going to be a close game, but um they're gonna definitely, they're gonna definitely reach underneath um, the five points threshold, and um, what is it, fifty point five? I think. Nice. You think it'll be a high scoring game, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think it's gonna be a high scoring game. I really do, and um, I think that I think the Broncos they're gonna they're gonna try to pick up some of the momentum they built offensively and and try to um carry that over okay well that's that's our picks i think for overall as a closing thought um i think both both the niners and raider games will be fun this Mm -hmm. weekend i know the niners are are a heavy underdog at this point but like i said they have a lot of rest and lots of um you know, time to actually um, build up the players. And I think we'll have to look out for Bourne and Sherman and maybe even Moster might even come back, right? Moster and Debo are, are tentative. I think they didn't practice, so the chances are pretty low that they come back. But, hey, they might surprise us. If they come back, the better. And then for the Raiders and Denver side, I think overall that's going to be a great game too. I think the division games are always fun to watch. Um, and the matchup will be interesting because I think this is the first time they played um, all season. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the Raiders do. If they come out dominant and they beat the Denver Bron- uh, Broncos pretty easily there, um, I think that that's going to be a really uh, big, big one for the future for, for that franchise. And we'll, we'll see them deeper, I think, in the playoffs than we have in previous years if, if that's the team that we see out there. So what are your closing thoughts, Mike? Yeah, I mean... Um... I agree with all your points there. Uh, Ten weeks into the football season, uh, we kind of know, you know, how our teams are going to be in a way. Um, you know, there's not much. I think yeah. there's not there's not, there's not going to be too many surprises moving forward. Um, when you look at your team's games, you kind of see if you're going to win. You kind of know for the most part if you're going to win or not. For, you, it might be a close game. It might not be. But, you know, kind of moving forward, it's going to be fun. Um, it's going to be fun. And if you're, if your team is losing, you know, kind of embrace it and just kind of, uh, 
you know, if, if you're a New York Jets fan, for example, and you see Frank Gore out there, he's 37 years old, and he's still and he's still trying so hard. You know, maybe root yeah, for and, your favorite player. And the last game was exciting for the Jets, right? Uh, I mean, that was actually a very exciting game that came down to the end. Yeah. And in some ways, I think they lost on purpose to keep that pick because they, they had no business losing that last game against the Patriots. So, so yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, just try to yeah, you know, just try to find um anything little to enjoy about each game that you watch out there because yep. you know we're and very fortunate to you know I think we could tease this for a future uh, episode, but let's see if we can rank top five and then bottom five teams and then see mm-hmm. where the Raiders and Niners fit in. I think that'll be a interesting discussion that we can have in one of the episodes. So just wanna put put that little uh, nugget out there for our yeah. listeners in the future. Absolutely. All right. Well, that concludes um, episode six, season one of the MJ Sportscast show. Uh, For Jerry Yang, this is Mike Tan.